Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Subrat Mishra. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. We have Kataline Chubo, Chubotaru. Sorry, I got lost <laughs> saying your name. No, hello. That was very good. Yeah. Well, do you want to just introduce yourself real quick and let us know who you are and why you're famous? <laughs> sure, I would not say famous, but yeah. So uh, I'm Katalin Jubataru. Uh, I'm a front-end developer at Snapcard here in the Netherlands now. I've been doing front-end for a few years now, and I've been doing back-end before. That's mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> awesome. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Now, we brought you on to talk about this article that you wrote about uh, status codes with Angular Universal. And I was like, when, when, I, when I was looking at it, I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, you know, that, that seems pretty simplistic. And then I read the first part of your article and I was like, I was like, uh... Yeah, I could see where that would get a little bit messy because, yeah, I, I, I mostly do backend development, Ruby on Rails, Elixir, Phoenix, and I kind of take for granted that it does this stuff. But, yeah, Angular mostly lives on the front end and mostly doesn't really do this kind of stuff. And so just send a 30, 301 or 404. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know exactly how it would do that. And so... I'm wondering, yeah, how would you how would you begin to to manage this, right? Yeah, so that's actually what uh, what was the big shock also for me when we read like, oh, server side rendering is very good for uh, your SEO. So, mm -hmm. and then you start reading about server side rendering, and it's that is fast. three step, yeah, but it's also easy to implement it. It's like this three step process: you use the Angular schematics, and you're done. You have Angular mm -hmm. Universal set up, and you're amazed of how fast it is. Exactly. But then when <laughs> like exactly like I mentioned there. When marketing, the marketing team comes and asks you, oh, maybe we can return a 404 here. You start, oh, but how do I actually get access to the, what the server does? Because in theory, when you do the setup, you just tell Node, in this case, this mm -hmm. is my application, boot it up and serve it as it is with a one-off. So mm -hmm. uh, render once and then be done with it. But if you want to access, if you want to change the return codes, the status codes, then the first thing that comes to mind is I have to somehow in Node be aware of what's happening on the page. And that's a big red flag because you instantly think about, I don't want to leak my logic from Angular to Node because that would be a big mess. And suddenly you'd have to have logic on mm -hmm. both sides. And then I started digging into it and I saw that you actually have access to the response and the request objects if you provide them when you bootstrap the Angular on the server side, which gives niceties like this, the access to status code. This basically the short-term version of the story that led to this. Right. So what's the secret? <laughs> so the whole idea is that you can, when you bootstrap the Angular, the Angular application on the node side, you can also give some providers. So you can provide the response and the request, and then 
using the Angular provided tokens. With, so ng-universal gives you a bunch of tokens that you can use, and you can use them as injection tokens in your services. So what I do, what I mentioned in the article is I uh, inject the request, and uh, sorry, inject the response. And mm-hmm. by injecting the response, you actually have access to the response object that's, that's being used under the hood by node. So mm-hmm. then you have access to status code setting and telling it to, okay, stop what you're doing and just return or stuff like that, mm-hmm. which comes in very handy because then you can have a status code response service in Angular, which just gets it is injected and it can set different messages. It can return different codes and stuff like that. And this is just scratching the surface because implicitly you also have access to the cookies, for example, because again, cookies right. exist on the browser. So if you want to access some cookies in the in the server, you're not going to have access to them unless you inject the request object. And then you can read actually the cookies that's coming from your client. One good example of this is users setting the their preferred language and you set it in the in your SPA or whatever you set it on a cookie. But then when it gets on the server, you, when you render the page, you have to know in what language to render the page to avoid a flash of content when suddenly you change the language. So then if you use mm-hmm. the request, you can get the cookies from the request and uh, decide that stuff. Right. So, so how do you inject it? How do you inject the the request into your services? Uh, on the Angular side, it's a yeah. it's an injection token. It's called request. It's actually coming from the ng Universal tokens. Okay. And uh, that gives you a request type object, and the same for response. And on that object, you have different properties. So the type is actually you can get the types from the Express library. At least that's what I did. The Express mm-hmm. library has a type for response and for the request, and then you can easily see what what methods and properties you have there. So, for example, for the response, you have uh, that status message to easily set up the status message. Same for that status code, and then you can also, if you want to do a redirect. So, for example, if you want to do a three hundred one redirect in case you change your page and you want to keep the mm-hmm. value that Google provided in that. There is a method for redirect and give it a status code, in this case, a 301 and the new URL that you wanted to redirect to. And yeah, same thing for 500. And also there's a method for end. So in case you want to do a redirect, you want to tell node, okay, just stop wiring this up. It's just, this is just going to be a redirect. So there's an end method there as well. At least that was my understanding. That's, that's what it does. Because if you decide, if you somewhere you're wiring up a page and you find, oh, actually, I don't have this item. I wanted this to be a redirect. You just want to stop the rest of the processing. It doesn't make sense to to continue uh, rendering and all that. So how did, how do did you go about figuring this out? It was a bit of trial and error. So you provide, provide stuff and see w- what you have there because mm-hmm. it's also a bit time-consuming because in order to test if this is working, you have to boot up everything. You have to build the application for server and for the client, then mm-hmm. start the server, and then render pages, and then basically start the website and see do I get the correct response here and there? And server-side rendering with hot reload doesn't work that great. So quite often you have to stop it, change stuff, <laughs> add a bunch of console logs probably and uh, render it again. So that was mainly it. And once you get the actual objects, it, the, the actual yeah, server providers, I would say, that was, that was pretty easy because if you get the type from Express, you can easily see using IntelliSense and the Explorer on whatever IDE you, you use. You can easily see what what methods are available there and all that. It was pretty satisfying, to say the, to say the least. That uh, when you see that you actually get the three hundred one and it automatically redirects, that is that is pretty cool. I'll bet. And one question here, like if you want to redirect from the response, like four hundred four, if you have our own 
a UI and that 404, I think that will also be auto-handled if you are redirecting to certain URI uh, with the 404 message. Yeah, so what I did, because I wanted to have control over the UI for the 404 also on the client side. So in the root component that basically has the main router outlet, I would have a template. So this root component would listen to a service that provides the state of this uh, server responses, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it would listen. And based on that, it would know which template to show. Because Google also doesn't like it if you do a 400 or 404 not found and you also change the url so if you do slash books slash uh, my favorite book and this doesn't exist you do a 404 but if you also change the url to not found google is not going to like that because it doesn't know do i attach the 404 to books slash my favorite book or do i attach the 404 to not found mm -hmm. so this caused an issue because you want to present the user with a nice ui in this situation without changing the url so that's why my solution was to, in this app component, I think, listen to some sort of store that ex that emits when the when the state changes, and based on that state, we we'll figure out, oh, it's a 404, then I'm gonna keep the same URL or whatever, but I will display instead of the router outlet, I will display this template, which is I don't know some nice animation with not found or something like that. No, I think for for our new listener who like pretty new to Angular, if they may not know about Angular Universal. Can you just give a brief about what is Angular Universal and why it's used? Yeah, sure. So as far as I know, Angular Universal is the Angular team's solution to server-side rendering for Angular. And what it does, it's basically bootstrapping your application on the server, so on your node server. It And it basically it tries to figure out what page to render. It renders it once, and then it sends it to the client. And then the client will hydrate it silently, in theory. So that means the user will see some sort of page, which actually is not interactive. It's static, it's static HTML. And under the hood, uh, Angular is going to uh, get all the JavaScript and everything required, and then will rehydrate the page, which means will attach everything and then make sure that everything is still interactive. This is like best case scenario. Sometimes this doesn't happen because the rehydration is pretty difficult because in order to rehydrate it, it needs to figure out what DOM element to replace with what DOM element. And that doesn't always go smooth because of yeah how DOM elements are rendered in Angular. But the advantage of this is the first thing that is downloaded is an HTML and CSS page. So it is very fast for the user to see what is this all about. And by the time the user figures out what do I want to do on this page, the JavaScript part should have already been loaded, so then they can click and all that. And there's also a mechanism to 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 protect for that. So I think it's called popover, but I'm not sure, where it actually records what you're doing. So if you click a button before Angular is rebootstrapped on the client, it records that. So it's going to replay all the events that you did on the page while it was bootstrapping itself up. So that is pretty cool. And this is also good for uh, SEO because... When Google now is pretty good with crawling JavaScript websites, but not all uh, crawlers are that good. So that means when they request a page, they just get, I don't know, a JavaScript tag. And that's about it, which is there's no content there. So they might give up. And if you do server-side rendering, you're actually getting a fully rendered page with all the content, CSS, and all that. So then it's easier to crawl it. I think this is actually the main advantage while uh, server-side rendering is being used for SPAs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And the way you use it with Angular, they provide the schematics. I think it's called ng-universal add or something like that. 
So you do with using, I'm assuming everybody's using Angular CLI. Yeah. You do ng add ng universal, and it would bootstrap everything. And at the end, it tells you exactly what it did because it will generate a new app server module, which will run on top of your currently app, currently loaded app module. It will uh, create a main dot, a server.ts file, which is actually your node server. And it will install a bunch of other packages, but that is in big line, your, uh, your big setup. And there's a lot of nuances there because the server.ts for a front-end developer looks like a lot of stuff that I have no idea what, what, what it means. But basically what it does, it figures out from your already built Angular app, it figures out what are the modules. And based on that, it has to figure out what are all the possible routes. Because normally when you build a server, you tell it, these are all the routes and for each route, what to do. But you don't want to do this when you're loading up for Angular because you don't want to change the routes in your server file. You want to change them like you do in routing modules and all that. So basically what it does, it goes through up to all the routes that you have defined. It indexes that and it figures out for each route, if it's lazy loaded, what modules or what JavaScript file do I need to load and stuff like that. So that's one of the nuances that, it, that it's, at least for, uh, for me as a front-end developer, it was a bit odd to get adjusted to that, to understand exactly what's happening under the hood, because it's also not that nice when it's just like a black box with magic and hope for the best that it works. Yeah. And another pretty important thing was understanding that app server module is basically going to wrap itself around the current app module. So that would be the place where you would override. So for example, you have a cookie service on the, ser- on the browser, which basically you would use to, I don't know, set and get cookies. That would work kind of different on the server. So then you can just say, instead of when you provide cookie service, provide server cookie service, which, which be a different implementation of the same abstract class or interface, whatever you want to use. So this w- this is where things would come in handy when you want to do something slightly different on the server side versus the client side. Same for error logging, for example. Most time we use, I use a Sentry and that, that has a slightly different implementation for the browser versus for the server. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, one, one, and the thing we're really talking about, if we're going to break this down for beginners, which I really actually like, right? Because I like breaking this down so that people who are newer can kind of follow along with what we're talking about is so the, the front end just deals with the routes and the HTML and the CSS. And this is what we're talking about here with the Angular Universal is, hey, we're going to return something that's in the HTML and CSS that looks like a whole lot like what we would see when Angular kind of finalizes the HTML and CSS in the DOM for the Angular app that we've built, right? Because otherwise, without Angular Universal, what would happen is, is it would load in kind of the the framing that HTML gives us, and then it would the JavaScript would fill in the pieces with all of the components that we have. And then, the, you know, it'd pull in the CSS, and it would style all the components that we have, right? And so it kind of pieces in the, the DOM, and then it pieces in the CSS DOM, and then everything looks right. And instead, what Angular Universal does is it builds that in all at once. Well, when we're talking about the 404, which is not found, or the 301 permanent redirect, or the fi- 500 hey, I got an error stuff that the backend server typically sends, all that comes in in the header and not in the HTML and CSS. And so when somebody sends a request to the backend server and says, hey, here's the thing, and Angular Universal needs to send back a 404 or a 301 or a 500 or something like this, the problem is, is that Angular really doesn't typically have to deal with that on the front end. And so there isn't a solid mechanism for it to do that. And so that's why we're talking about, hey, 
how do you do this with something that isn't really meant to do it? And that's why we're talking about this problem. Okay, how do we tell it? No, you actually need to go over here to get what you want with Angular Universal. And so that's that's the problem we're solving, you know, kind of come back around to the original question. And so that's where we're talking about now. Okay, we use these mechanisms, we plug these things in, we look at the, the request object, and then we hook it into this part of Node, since Node is what's serving up Angular Universal, so that Node and Express or whatever it is that Angular Universal plugs into, which does know how to send that back, does the right thing and says, hey, this is a redirect, go here. Yeah, exactly. Because it is slightly different when you're handling in Angular an HTTP call that you make, so an API mm-hmm. to get all the books or whatever, that it's purely contained within Angular or whatever client you use. So then it's going to be easy to handle. You, there you can handle 404, you can handle 500, yeah. whatever you want. But it's slightly different in this situation where Angular itself, it's serving itself, basically. So that's what makes yeah. it a bit more, more nuanced. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool because that's how it's generating the HTML and giving it back. I think it also helps us, uh, the universal also ha- helps us to put meta tag on the fly. I mean, that's possible in Angular as well, but uh, it helps us to dynamic title and meta tag. That also helps to put, put our content in through a lot of search engines. I guess. Yeah, so in the main app, when I, when I started using this, we used ngx meta, which is a library that gives you all everything that you need to set up title, description, and different meta tags. But I saw that lately Angular provides it by itself. So it has a title injection token and a description injection token and just a meta or something like that, where you can just set those things. And again, those come in very handy because if you want to have like a nice Twitter card when someone shares your website or Facebook or whatever you want to have, you want to have it personalized. And even better, because you have the full dynamic power behind it, when someone shares a link to, I don't know, book slash three-body problem, <laughs> you want mm-hmm. to not to be quite quite dynamic, right? So you want the image that's being shared, let's say Twitter, to actually be the image of the book. And because you are doing this in Angular, you already have the book object with title, author, number of pages, everything. So you can have you can set some pretty nice tags for all the information, not just a static title of my books or something like that, which comes quite in quite in handy. And as far as I've seen, these add quite a lot of uh, SEO power to your website. So the server-side rendering, adding the speed and making right. your website more crawlable, if that's a thing, <laughs> in combination with the fact that the content is way, way richer and all the, ti- all the title and meta tags are there and fully customized per page, makes, your, makes Google think that, wait, this website is actually filled with content and it's completely, it's, it helps me index it. So... It's, at least as far as I've seen, it gives a pretty good boost uh, in terms of marketing, if, that's, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, one other thing, you know, you mentioned this, the speed and Google has come out with Core Web Vitals, which is another metric now that they use for SEO. And so it's not just, hey, I know that it gave back HTML that has the right kind of information under the right tag that sends the right message to Google so that it properly categorizes the right text in the right way, but it actually does come back faster, right? So that those three magic numbers that it's measuring against actually flag up in the right way and I get a better score that way too. So 
these numbers actually matter on, on both counts. And so it, it helps you in both ways. It, it really does make a difference on both counts. Your marketing folks are going to care about both things. Yeah, so definitely. Angular Universal helps you with both. Yeah, definitely. And you do see that if you, so if you just start an, an Angular application using the CLI, just add a bit of content, you mm-hmm. measure Core Web Vitals, and then you simply add the NG Universal schematic, you do see a very, a quite significant speed increase. That is pretty mm-hmm. cool. It does add yeah. a bit to the complexity of it because suddenly yeah. you cannot just host your website on any hosting provider because suddenly it's not just a static website. Right. You actually have to have a node server behind it. So that adds a bit to the complication complication of it. But uh, if you're serious about it and if, you're, if your website can actually benefit from this, uh, then it's definitely worth it. But if your website is completely private and no matter how you load it, you're served with a login screen, then server-side rendering for SEO purposes, does not have that much of a value. It might still have mm-hmm. a value because it's still going to be faster, but purely for SEO, probably not because there's no content that you want to advertise on there. Yeah, we've done three or four episodes on JavaScript Jabber about Core, but core Web Vitals, if you want to understand more about that. Yeah, but I think, very uh, cool. Yeah, so I, uh, what, what I can say is one, uh-huh, they made best to check maybe if you are hosting everything from the server and if you don't need that the SEO as you... Kathleen told that it will increase the overhead call to the server. So you need to maintain a little bit on that as well. Because what prior happened is you are downloading the whole bundle. And inside browser, Angular handles the routing. Just Angular will call the API and just face the data. Now, every user will call on every route or every instance you call. It will be called from the server to another server. So the server scaling and those things also need to be a handle for the UI as well. But again, if you are marketing and uh, the user base is pretty high, then it's worth it. Like you have a pretty good score. So it, it at least it will be in the first page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. And usually, server hosting is quite more expensive than mm-hmm. static website hosting. Like, static mm-hmm. website hosting, you can find quite often for free with very generous traffic numbers, as opposed to a uh, server where you suddenly have to think about how many requests per second would I uh, have and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, in fact, and, most uh, free static site hosting that I've seen, I mean, you have to get to obscene levels before they even care how much traffic you're getting. It's almost always based on build build resources rather than on traffic resources. Yeah, but it is something that you realize, uh, you realize at some point when you start wanting to deploy that actually... Uh, and also the tutorials that you have, like for I don't know, for Netlify or platforms like this, they show you, oh, you use this GitHub Action or Travis or whatever, right? And it's just this three step: you upload your files and it works. Except if you use server side rendering, because yeah. there suddenly you have to do a lot more googling to understand uh, mm-hmm. what you actually need to host, which is, which is fine. It's just uh, it's just a bit more more work that you have to take into account. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one other thing that I I think it's important to mention is this 
a situation where the server returns basically a fully rendered HTML with CSS that looks pretty and then silently replaces with interactable mm -hmm. HTML and CSS, it's not always the case. Because like I said, the hydration sometimes works not that great under the hood. And then sometimes you like some flash of content or something like this. And to avoid these kind of situations or to avoid refetching information because the server and the client don't know that, oh, I already fetched this information. I don't need to do it. Ser uh, Angular also helps you and gives you access to a state transfer service, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah, state transfer st service. And with this, it's basically a service that you can set data on on the server side and read data from on the client side. So the way that would work, when it's being rendered a page, you would say, this is, this is the booking that I have, for example, or this is the book that I have. So then on the client, you can check, do I have a book in the state transfer service for this ID? Because if I do, I can just use this one and I don't have to refetch it. So not have to do another API calls. Because this also happens quite often if you have a page that does, I don't know, 30 HTTP calls to get data from different points to assemble everything that's needed for a view. Mm -hmm. On the client, you don't want to do those 30 API calls on the server and on the client. So right. this is where the state transfer service comes in place because you can easily set, I already have all this information because it's coming from the server and it already took care of this part. So you don't right. need to fetch it. Yeah, that's actually a really powerful angle on the Angular Universal piece, yeah, where you basically say, yeah, I already know all this stuff. It's already been rendered. Yeah, I'm and you can do some pretty... And you can do some pretty smart stuff with it if you put mm -hmm. RxJS and interceptors into play because you can kind of cache requests that you have yeah. using this, which, uh, which is pretty neat because it saves you quite a lot of... And this makes the page even faster because not only it gets it fast from the server, but then when it boots it up, it doesn't have to do all these HTTP requests. So then the processing time, it's way, way shorter. Yeah, very cool. So I'm curious, what was the use case for you with this particular solution? You know, you said you're uh, working for... Snapcar. Snapcar, yeah. Yeah, so the use case was... So, okay, Snapcar is like peer-to-peer -peer car sharing platform. So owners mm -hmm. can put their car there and uh, renters can look for a car and rent it. But what mm -hmm. happens sometimes, an owner puts their car there and then they take it offline because they don't want to share it anymore or they sold it. Mm -hmm. And if I, if, but Google already indexed that car because it's a popular car, a bunch of people renter, uh, rented it. But because... And then you search. So let's say, for example, me as an owner, I have a BMW. I don't have one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come then, on. <laughs> and then you put it on Snapcard. You rent it for a couple of months. You quite get quite some, I, I call it SEO credit from Google, because a lot of people visit your page and rent your car. Mm -hmm. So Google knows if someone searches for rent a nice BMW in Utrecht, where I live, Google will say, oh, go to this page, because already a lot of people go there. Right. But at some point, I sell my car because I don't use it anymore. But Google doesn't know that. So Google will keep keep, keep showing people, oh, go to this page because this page is a nice BMW. And no, we, we know what happened. You made so much money renting it out that you <laughs> bought a Porsche. You sold it and you bought a Porsche. <laughs> but Google doesn't know yet. You rent a nice Porsche in Utrecht, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can neither... Uh, uh, Confirm nor deny. We... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I want to ride next time in Netherlands. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. Okay. But yeah, so then you want, then a lot of Google space is being wasted on this because Google mm -hmm. is saying, go to this page and then it's going to be this old link and then it's going to redirect your Angular application. And the Angular application will say, wait, I cannot find this car. So you have to do something about it. And most of the times you will redirect the user to search 
or you will show him or her mm-hmm. a page <laughs> a page that uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't this card doesn't exist which is okay as a UI handler, handling, but you are just wasting traffic from Google. So then in our case, the marketing team said, what, what if we say 301? We just tell the group Google, stop using this, this URL because it's not valid anymore. And instead mm-hmm. use this one. So if we take the Porsche example, we would say well, on the server side, we say, oh wait, I found, I, this is a URL to a car that doesn't exist anymore. But I know this owner actually has this car now. So maybe I want to redirect to this car. So you tell Google, instead of this URL, redirect to this URL. And then all this SEO credit is not lost anymore because it's actually using to something that can bring you business. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the examples that uh, that we use. And the same with 404s. Sometimes you don't have a replacement page. You, let's say the user took off their car, but they didn't put anything else on the platform. You just want to tell the user, to, you want to tell Google, stop showing this URL because this is not valid anymore. So go to whatever your next option was. And again, Google right. really likes this because it also doesn't like to have millions of URLs that redirect to your website. It likes mm-hmm. to have like a limited amount because it knows like you you confer a lot of uh, a lot of value in that limited amount of URLs. This is my like very short sighted understanding of how the Google Google crawler works. Nice, that makes sense. I think Subrat wants to ride in a Porsche too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as I buy one, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, the podcast Porsche. There we go. <laughs> so then record the podcast in, in the post pause. But yeah, so this is what our our use case. And uh, looking, because we also have this process where we looked at our traffic and our organic traffic and clicks and all mm-hmm. that. And it was a big bump after we started using Angular Universal. It was quite a considerable bump. And then right. when we started using these status codes here and there to limit the amount of URLs that are out there, uh, it also helped. Not as much as the Angular Universal part, but uh, quite enough to justify the effort in, uh, put into it. Right. That makes sense. Very cool. So what's the next big step forward for you? Uh, yeah, so right now, uh, in terms of this, so... What happens when you start doing this? So initially you start with a website. It's an application, uh-huh. it has everything. It's one one project. But right. then you start moving into, oh, I want to do server side. And then you mm-hmm. realize I need the status code response service. I need a different cookie service. Maybe I need a different HTTP service or caching service. And then you start building this group of services that are actually not browser related, are purely server related. So it makes you think like if you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, you actually want to distribute your, you want to divide your business logic into two different projects, which are being loaded on demand based on where you're serving your app instead of having, having everything in one place. So for example, for this app where I started using this, what we're doing now is migrating to this new architecture that has different logic layers based on the client. And then within the client, it works seamlessly. So if you uh, want to render a page of bookings on the server side and on the client side, the UI and everything looks the same, but maybe under the hood is using completely different services. And it is, this is all possible because of the difference, differentiation between the app module and the app server module, which is quite neat. Because, for example, what we discovered is that Angular, Angular doesn't really like interfaces as injection tokens because I think they actually are not anything in JavaScript, but it does accept abstract classes. So then, for example, you can have an abstract class called cookie service, and then you can have a server cookie service and a browser cookie service. 
So then everywhere you use this, you say you would inject the cookie service, but in the app module, in the list of providers, you say when you provide cookie service, provide the browser cookie service. And in the server, you would say when the cookie service provides the server cookie service. If that makes sense, I'm repeating myself a lot. But it, it allows you to everybody to use the same injection token, which would be the cookie service, but actually the app module and the app server module to make a differentiation between what is actually being used under the hood. So then you can do some pretty neat, pretty neat tricks with it to make the clients unaware about what's actually happening under the hood. I just know I need a cookie service. And I don't really care what you actually use under the hood to store it or get it. And this is just an example. So now we're trying to move a bit in that direction where the clients are a bit unaware of this. And to make things even more complicated, we're building also a new client in NativeScript for both iOS and Android, which adds a new thing in parallel to the server and the browser, which makes this setup even, even nicer because then you get a ton of value out of it. Nice. Very cool. We should pick your brain on the native script stuff. I haven't looked at that in a while. And anyway, it's it's exciting to see where that's going to. So Oh yeah, definitely. It is uh, we're close to being to releasing, but it's 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 quite a trip. <laughs> sometimes yeah, just work and you're amazed by how they work. And sometimes you're just so frustrated because it's just not working as it should. <laughs> yep. I have a question cool. about the like the difference between the server and the browser now. So how, if you want to access some browser's API, which is now it will be rendered, the HTML will be generated in the in the node. Suppose we want to access uh, in request animation frame or something that which you need to render and which is only present in browser, if I'm not wrong. So how like Universal handles that? Or, as far as I know, you don't really have those things. I think the last, like, I think with Angular 11, Angular introduced Dominos or something like that, which is a library that will provide browser APIs on the server side. But I didn't look that much into it to see exactly does it provide dummy or no ops, mm-hmm. or it actually provides something that gets rendered and wired up on the browser. I haven't used it so far. I just had, so, so far when I needed something that's browser specific, I had to find a server alternative mm-hmm. for that. Like, for example, the cookie service, uh, the browser, you get them from the document. Yeah. On the server, you get them from the response or the request, whatever you want to do. So but yeah, and also, for example, what you would want to do for your case with a request animation frame, if you just want to do animations, probably you don't want to do them on the server because that's just going to slow down. Yeah. So then what you can do on the, on the app server module, you could say when you need a, uh, you just provide a no animation module. I think that's how it's called. So then at least that way you also circumvent animations. Mm-hmm. Just some more parentheses. <laughs> so I think deciding to go also to universal or to a normal Angular application or for for any other uh, other application is also like how client heavy that is. I think uh, one if you are going with some three D rendering and those things, then it's better to go with uh, normal Angular than universal, I guess, because that's it will use the whole browser resources, browser GPU. I think that is not possible. Or, or how it's uh, handled, like it, it would use server GPU and send the response in certain second or something? That's a very good point. I don't exactly know how that works in GPU terms on the server, but most of the time the, the, the server will be more powerful than mm. the browser. So if you have intense processing that's not GPU heavy, because I don't know how that's, but for CPU, mm-hmm. uh, that would be way faster on the server than on the client. Again, taking sure you don't have, because if you also have like, millions of requests, you have to make sure that you have enough 
good enough hardware on the on the yeah. server side. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on, like you said, on the type of uh, uh, processing power that you, that you need. Yeah, I think if like one, like you told, one big big core point is if you need pretty good SEO, then it's a green light. Uh, go for universal or any server side rendering. Else, we need to decide like <laughs> what to do and how. Yeah. Yeah, I think most time it's driven by SEO because that is the biggest area that sees a huge advantage to it. And also, to be fair, Google Crawler is getting pretty decent at crawling these dynamic SPAs, but it's not there, right? And if you have a very broad audience where you rely on, I don't know, Bing and I don't know, whatever is out there, you will have to make sure all the crawlers can access and understand your your page. Yeah. So... uh, that makes it because uh, I, I don't. I don't think you can make a safe assumption that everybody, all of your clients, are using Chrome unless you say, "Oh, this website only works on Chrome and it's only found by Google." Then uh, you're kind of limiting yourself. So it definitely has value there. I think if I know, like some, most of the people, like most of the, not most of, very few of my friends started using DuckDuckGo because of privacy and those uh, yeah exactly recommendation issue. So we should like also do think all we don't know yeah exactly and yeah and these small because there's also another one i think ecosia it's called which basically plants trees or something like that for all the income they get from uh, from searching Mm -hmm. and these being way smaller than google and don't have the buckets of money behind they will probably progress slower and you would like your website to be found by that so uh that is uh, definitely a nice, a nice to have. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I still am of the mind that I'm going to prioritize the big players like Google, and then I'm going to probably Bing, and then from there come down on. Okay, now what do I have to do to make these other guys find me the way I want? Yeah, yeah, that, that that's true. And but I, as far as I know, Bing actually has quite some issues with uh, dynamic yeah. pages, so. Yeah, they do. Uh, And I think it depends, too. I mean, they're better with Angular than some of the other ones, just because the Microsoft ecosystem tends to adopt Angular more frequently than some of the other frameworks. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, could be. Also, another thing that I remembered, (laughs) when we started using Angular Universal, your website is going to crash in a bunch of places that you are not aware of. So for example, if you use a window object, in a ton of places, the Angular Universal is not going to have that object. So what's going to happen is your server is going to crash or you're going to get uh, 500 or something if you try to access a page that under the hood it's using Window. So then what we had to do is actually everywhere we use Window to create our own Window provider service, which would be injected actually in the same way. So in, in a component, if you uh, want to do window.location. Href or whatever, that would crash the server because the server when we try to would try to wire up the component, it would not have that window object. So the solution to that was create a window provider service, one for the server and one for the mm-hmm. for the browser, and use that instead in each component. And then you would have some null checks or some default values or some no ops, whatever the, the the discussion is there. But this was also an interesting finding because you suddenly are hit with all these dumb API, with all these browser APIs that are just not accessible, and the browser just poof crashes. And there's no, you you, you don't get this at build time or at runtime. You just get it when you actually try to visit the page, and suddenly you see, oh, you look in the log and see, oh, the browser, the the server crashed. 
And the, the, the problem with that is the server crashes. No, so the server fails, but it still returns all the files. And the browser still wires up everything, and you still see the page because the browser side rendering still works. And the issue with this is you don't know that you actually get a not server-side server rendered page, if that makes sense. Right. So then, we, which happened quite a few times, and then the marketing department comes and say, huh, we're, uh, we're dropping in traffic for this page. Can you have a look what's happening? And then you look, and the page is not actually server-side rendered anymore. And when you run everything locally with the server and everything, you see that actually the server fails because you're using some uh, browser API. So uh, this was a pretty interesting finding because one of those things that you have to fix, but you don't know they fail up until Google lets you know that, oh, this thing is not working. Please fix it if you want to get better SEO. Right. Yeah, but I guess now Universal is pretty mature. But when I have tried it, it was giving a lot of issue. Like in, I tried it when it came. So it was like in binding calls also, making service call, getting the data in a loop. It started increasing. Now I think it's... Uh, I think it's uh, we need not need to do much if you are not using any external things or any browsers API. It will just be auto handle. Yeah, so it depends a lot on when you're actually deciding to go to to Angular Universal. If you just started with your project and you add Angular Universal, chances are you have very few issues or no issues because there's not a lot a lot to be transferred to this new type of thinking. However, if you have already a ton of logic you will have some uh, some issues like this. But again, like I said, Angular, when you do Angular Universal now, it comes with Domino. Mm -hmm. So it will have some sort of fail-safe for when you're using browser APIs. So chances are, again, I didn't try this out, but I know window object will exist. A, a window object will exist on the, on the server side. I don't know exactly what's going to be there, but at least your server is not going to crash and burn. So there's that. And it depends because this also might, might be bad sometimes because it suddenly you would rely on something existing and you would have a no-op or a, or just an empty string or whatever. And the page would work, you would still have server-side rendering, but then some bit of critical information might be missing there, which will send you down the rabbit hole because it's working. What was the problem here? So there's ups and downs. Very cool. All right, well, I'm going to push us into picks. Before we go there, though, if people want to follow up or check in with you, Kataline, how do they find you online? I'm using Twitter mostly for all the stuff mm -hmm. that I do. And I'm more of a Twitter reader than a Twitter poster. But I am at underscore U-T-U-K-K-U. So U-T-U-K-K-U is like a, I don't know, some nickname that I put a while back. But I'll post that there. And yeah, and I'm on GitHub. I think on GitHub, I am Funny Ghost, which is also another weird nickname that I picked at some point. <laughs> it's always fun to see where these come from. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's 
using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Subrat, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so this week I am started watching a Netflix series. I think it's a pretty famous one. It's Lu- Lucifer. I think season six came. So, so I'm, I said that was a pick for me. Cool. I haven't watched that one. Yeah, me neither. It's been on my list for a while. Yeah, it's a little yeah. twist. <laughs> I don't I don't want to give a spoiler. But. All right, cool. I'm going to throw out some picks. So uh, my deal is generally I pick books just because I, I go out for runs or bike rides when training for this triathlon. And yeah, I just shout out about what I've been reading. So lately, one of the books I read, I don't know if I picked it on here before. I always say that and then I wind up just saying it anyway. So one of the books I read is Tribe of Millionaires. And it's a book about people you spend your time with, kind of mastermind group, kind of a setup. I really, really enjoyed that book. It just kind of breaks down, yeah, who you spend your time with, having people out there who push you to do better and just being really, really transparent with people. And so I'm going to pick that book. Lately, I've been reading another book. It's called uh, God of Money. And it's it's kind of a Christian uh, view on how you spend, save, or give money. It really made me think. I don't know that I agree with everything in the book, but that's kind of, in my opinion, the, the good thing about a lot of these books is that when they kind of push a little bit beyond, it's like, you know, that's a little too far in this direction, or that's a little too far in that direction. You start thinking about, okay, well, why are they saying this, right? Why are they pushing in the, the, this direction and how do they back it up, right? And so it really did make me think about, you know, how much I give and how much I save and, you know, what my thoughts are about money and what the basis is given my own faith and and my own beliefs. And I really appreciated that. So if you're looking for something, if you're Christian or even if you're not, and you're trying to think about, okay, you know, where are my lines as far as how much money do I need? How much, what do I spend my money on? How much should I save versus spend versus give away? What causes do I give money to? It really made me think about that. And then the book that I'm reading now, it's called The Art of Impossible. And I am really, really digging that because it is taking all of my dumb excuses for all the stuff that I think I can't get done. And it's going, dude, that's stupid. (laughs) Dude, that one's stupid too, right? And at the same time, pushing me to say, okay, you know, all of the things that you think are impossible dreams, you can get those done. And yeah, they're impossible except for all of the possible steps in between. And oh my gosh, I mean, it's really just pushing me to to consider what I can do. And I'm really feeling like I've got some things that I want or am called to do that feel impossible that I just need to take the next step that is possible or the next step that is hard and kind of go in that direction. So I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. And then, yeah, keep an eye out because I probably have a couple of bonus episodes coming out that are going to talk about some of the next things in that 
in that vein. So yeah, those are my picks. Kathleen, what are your picks? Yeah, so I recently finished the just JavaScript course. It's pretty new. It's by Dan Abramov, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how it's called. And it's very good. Even though, yeah, I think everybody thinks at some point that, oh, I know JavaScript good enough. This course's point is not necessarily to teach you JavaScript. It's about to change your mental model. How do you think about when you think of an object? Do you think of a box? Do you think of a line, of a square, whatever? And for this point, I think the, the course is very, very, very good. And it's not very long. I think it has like 10 modules with like small exercises and stuff like that. But it tries to challenge your your mental model of uh, JavaScript. And I highly recommend that. I found that very, very good. I'll uh, send you the link. And I have another one, which is also a book. I'm uh, reading now The Three-Body Problem, but I'm actually at the third book. And it mm-hmm. is a brilliant series. It's one of my favorite books ever. It's the type of sci-fi that <laughs> really make, makes you think. It's very, very, very good. I cannot recommend it enough. All right, good deal. Well, thanks for coming. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is, was very interesting. It was my first podcast and I was very nervous. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks again. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.